My name is Brian. I've been a member at Anchor for really since the beginning, for about five years. Um, met my wife at Anchor Church. We have two kids. Um, they're not here right now. But um, I just also wanted to say thank you for uh, giving me and other guys like Ian and others to uh, preach, because I know it can be difficult to uh, listen to a new preacher and an inexperienced preacher preach. So I thank you for your, uh, your patience and your grace in that. Thank you for serving us in that way, really. Um, if you have your Bible with you, we'll be in Luke 1. Verse 26, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one at the tables over there, um, or you can use your phone, which I'm sure lots of you will. Um, so I'm going to read the, the text. It'll be Luke 1, 26 to 33, and then I'll pray, and we'll dig in. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. It will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. I'll pray. God, I just ask that whatever is of me would fall away and that you would uh, <coughs> speak your words today. Thank you that we can celebrate today the king who has come. This, this is Christ the king. Thank you for that reminder every Christmas, and uh, just pray we'd see him and behold him and worship him today. Uh, Jesus' name, amen. So it's the last Sunday before Christmas. I'm uh, super excited for Christmas. I love Christmas season. I'm sure many of you are excited as well. Um, and I've been reflecting the last few days on how, how great it is that God gives us things, traditions like Christmas, so that we can really take time to reflect on, on the amazing things that he's done. Um, I know that if Christmas wasn't around, I, I wouldn't think about Jesus as much. I wouldn't think about the Incarnation as much. So I'm thankful for, for times like this. And I'm hopeful that in this text, uh, we'll be able to, to reflect on this person that we're celebrating, this person of Jesus. So this section is the fancy word for it is the Annunciation. Uh, it's where it's the announcement where the angel Gabriel comes to Mary, tells her that she's going to give birth to a son. Uh, it's going to be the Savior, God's son. Um, and so we'll start at verse 26. We're going to do a quick overview of the narrative, and then we're going to focus on the uh, promises that Gabriel gives to Mary. So we'll start at verse 26. Um, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. So God is sending this angel Gabriel. It's the same angel that came to uh, Zechariah that Joe preached about a few weeks ago. Um, and he's coming to the city Nazareth, which is in Galilee. It's north of Jerusalem, north of Judea, north of Samaria. Um, Nazareth is not a very significant place. In fact, it's, it's, it's got a bad reputation. Um, it's a small town and, and, and doesn't have a good reputation. So it's insignificant. Moving on to verse 27. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. So at Gabriel's coming to Mary, and here we're introduced to who Mary is. I'm sure all of you have 
heard of Mary in some form or another. Um, says that she's a virgin, so she's had no relations with a man. She's not married. Um, she's betrothed to Joseph. She's engaged to him. She's going to get married to him soon. And Gabriel's come to, to this Mary, who's frankly a, a very humble, insignificant person. So Gabriel's come to this insignificant place, Nazareth, to this insignificant person, Mary. In verse 28, he has some news, some big news. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. So he calls her favored, that God has bestowed favor and grace upon Mary and says that God is with you. And now if you put yourself in Mary's shoes for a little bit and think about yourself in this room, wherever she is, probably at home, seeing this angel in front of you, who's probably terrifying, um, and he tells you, you're the favored one of God. Uh, God is with you. And imagine, as you're sitting there, how you would respond. It would probably be very similar to verse 29. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So troubled, confused, uh, scared. In verse 30, and the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. So he gives this word of comfort. Don't be afraid. And he even calls her by name, Mary. For you have found favor with God. And then he gives the news. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. So Mary's going to conceive as a virgin. The Holy Spirit is going to come and conceive a baby in her womb. This miraculous birth. And you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus is, is the English version of the Hebrew word Yeshua or Joshua, which means God saves. We'll get there in a little bit. We'll talk about that more. But let's keep going. So Mary's going to conceive of a, of a baby. Miraculously, his name will be Jesus. Verse 32. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. So he's going to be great. He's going to be exalted. He's going to be called Son of the Most High. Most High is, is used commonly in the Old Testament to describe God. He's God Most High. There's none higher than him. He's the Lord of all creation. And, and this baby is going to be called Son of the Most High, the Son of God. And in fact, he is the Son of God. The second, he is God himself, the second member of the Trinity, who's going to come and become a little baby. Continuing on, verse 32. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. Now you might wonder, where is this coming from? Well, where did this David part come from? And so first, before we dig into that, we need to figure out, oh, who is David? So David is a really big deal. Um, he's the greatest king in Israel's history. He's way bigger than George Washington or Abraham Lincoln would be to us. He's like number one, number two, number three in the whole entire Old Testament. He's, he's a huge deal. So he, he united God's people together into a kingdom. He was their king. He led them into prosperity. He defeated Israel's enemies. And more than that, he was a man after God's own heart. He was humble before God. Even though he, he, he was a sinner, he committed some horrible things, but he was humble before God. He repented of these things. Um, and he even wrote a bunch of the Bible. He wrote most of the book of Psalms. So he's, he's a huge deal. And, but again, why is Gabriel saying this? 
He's saying that God's going to give Jesus this throne of David. And why is it here? And this isn't coming out of nowhere. And in fact, it's it's a huge deal that, that Gabriel is saying this about Jesus. And the reason it's a huge deal is because God has promised that this would happen. And God's people have been waiting for this for a long time. The, the main promise comes from uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, where God is speaking to David through the prophet David, uh, Nathan. And he's, he's giving a prophecy about what's going to happen to David's kingdom. So 2 Samuel 7 verse 12, God speaking to David, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. So here in this verse 12, he's first talking about David's uh, biological son, Solomon, who's going to come after him, become king of Israel. So first he's saying, David, your kingdom's not going to end with you. You're going to have a son, Solomon. The kingdom's going to continue with with Solomon. Verse 13, he shall build a house for my name. So that's the promise that Solomon will be the one who builds God's temple, the place where God's people would come and worship him. But then it it switches gears. He makes another promise that goes beyond just Solomon. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And if you jump down to verse 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So God's making a promise that not only is this kingdom going to continue through Solomon but it's going to last forever. And this isn't just hyperbole. This is a promise that it will literally last forever. This throne will never end. Now there is a problem. There's There's a bit of a problem with this where a few hundred years later, God's people went into exile. The kings were gone. And so God's people have been waiting for this new king from David's line to come establish the kingdom again, this forever kingdom. This forever king would be coming to establish this forever kingdom. And Gabriel here is telling Mary that Jesus is that king. Huge deal. Moving on to verse 33, we see another promise about who Jesus is. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Now notice here, Gabriel doesn't say, and he and his descendants, or he says, like, the throne will last forever. It says he <laughs> will reign forever over the house of Jacob. And his kingdom will be no end. So not only is he the next king in David's line, he is the king, the final king, the only king who's going to reign forever over his kingdom forever. Now this is not just in Second Samuel, it's all over the Old Testament. I mean, really, the entire Old Testament points to Jesus in some way. You can find in every book places that it's hinting at, pointing to, explicitly talking about Jesus. Um, But I wanted to point out just six of these references that point specifically to this king who is coming and this kingdom he's going to have and this promise about David who's going to come again and redeem his people. So first reference, it's going to be lightning round. Jeremiah 30, 8 to 9. So God's people are in bondage. They're slaves. And he gives this promise. By the way, these prophets that we're going to read through, they came hundreds of years after David. 
and they're going to speak of David in the present tense or the future tense. Very, very strange language. And it shall come to pass in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off your neck, and I will burst your bonds, and foreigners shall now no more make a servant of him. But they shall serve the Lord their God, and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. So they will serve their God and David their king. So David their king. There's one in the line of David going to come who's going to be the king. Ezekiel 34, 23 to 24. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. And he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord I have spoken. Ezekiel 37, verses 24 to 25. My servant David shall be their king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. They shall dwell in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob, where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever. And David, my servant, shall be their prince forever. You getting an idea of who this future David is? Daniel 7, verse 13 to 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. I don't know if you've heard Jesus refer to himself as the son of man. It means two things. One, he is a a son of, of a person, Mary, so he is fully human, but also he, he lifts that title here from Daniel 7. And listen to what it's saying about the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days who was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Hosea 3, verse 5. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. And then Micah 5, verse 2. Great Christmas verse. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah. Bethlehem is the place where Jesus is born. Joe just read that earlier. You are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. So there's a king who's going to be born in Bethlehem. And then listen what it says. Whose origin is from of old, from ancient days. Now this isn't even close to all the references about this future king. It's not even close. Um, But I want to just give you a taste about how important this is to God, that he would continually promise that this king is coming and he's going to establish his kingdom forever. And two, just to establish how amazing this announcement is to Mary, that this baby is going to be that king, that forever king with his forever kingdom. So now again, put yourself in this moment. You're Mary, you just heard this announcement. Um, you probably know of some of these references in the Old Testament. Think about, put these, those references in your mind. 
You don't know what's coming in the future. You don't know what Jesus' life is going to look like. You don't know about the cross, about the resurrection, about the church, nothing like that. And so the question I would ask is, if you were there, what would you expect this king to look like? What would you expect him to be like? It says he's going to reign on David's throne. His kingdom's going to have no end. He's going to rule over all peoples and all nations. He's going to be the son of God. You'd probably expect somebody who's, who's strong, who's mighty, who's going to defend Israel from their enemies. He's going to kick out the Romans. He's going to restore this old glory days of Israel where they have a kingdom on earth. But it's going to be way bigger and way better than anything they had before. I mean, you'd almost expect this. It's going to sound silly, but this like super David. But without all the sin and scandals that David brought, his kingdom will last longer. Israel's influence will be bigger. Foreigners will never rule over Israel again. And really, why would you not expect that? I mean, that's what... It was like in the past, that's what the promises are, are saying. So you'd expect this, this great king to come, who's more powerful, more majestic, more, more amazing than you've ever seen. But then when you fast forward, even starting like at this moment, and you see Jesus' life unfold, you'll start to see that Jesus' life is, was nothing like that. give you some examples even just from this this christmas narrative um number one mary is not even a prestigious person you'd expect a king like that to be born into uh, nobility or to someone prestigious or into a palace but he was born to this this insignificant woman mary who's a lowly jewish obedient woman she even recognizes this a little bit later in luke 46 146 and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. She's, she's humble. She's even poor. You, you see later that, that they can't afford the, the, the regular offering for offering Jesus, so they bring two turtle doves um, instead of the regular offering. Second, he's born in Bethlehem. It's, it's not a prestigious place. You'd expect maybe somewhere like Jerusalem or... Uh, or somewhere else big. And, and what's interesting about that too is that he's, he's born to, uh, Mary and Joseph don't even live in Bethlehem. They live in Nazareth. So you'd expect that if this great king was going to come, that, that great preparations would be made to make sure that he could come in, in a great way, that Mary would be comfortable, that he could come and, in this prestigious way, but, but they're traveling while uh, he is born. Now, okay, well, they had to travel because of the whole census. You can think that, okay, well, at least they'd be able to stay in, in a nice inn where there could be a, a comfortable bed or, and people to attend to them. But no, there was nobody there. There was no room in the inn. <clears throat> and they end up in a stable. Now, you, you hear this so often at Christmas, and you see it all the time with nativity scenes. And by the way, I love nativity scenes. My mom collects them. They're great. We have them in our house. Um, but uh, they come to a stable. And a stable is not a place where people live. And it's definitely not a place where babies would be born. And it's definitely not a place where the king of all kings would be born, you would think. It's a place where animals live. <laughs> 
horses, cows, <laughs> sheep. And it probably, frankly, stank in there. <laughs> and you know that, if, if, if for the ladies in here who have been pregnant before, you know that smells of pregnancy do not go well together. <laughs> <coughs> so surely this king would not be born in a stable, but he was. And so, okay, they're in the stable. Jesus is born. They didn't bring their pack and play along. They didn't have a crib they could borrow. Um, he's lied. He's laid into a feeding trough. Now, we normally say manger, but manger is a kind of fancy word that hides what he was actually laid into, which is it's a feeding trough for horses and cattle. But the king of all kings spent his first hours in, a, in an animal's feeding trough. Now, I know it's Advent, it's Christmas, and I'm, not suppo- and I'm supposed to just stop at the Christmas part, but I'm not going to. Um, so, I mean, the rest of his life continues this way. It doesn't look like this king you would expect. Um, I had so many examples here, but, but I wanted to make sure we, we keep time down with the family style and everything. Um, I'm just going to focus on really just the main thrust of his life, which is that during his ministry, I mean, during his whole life, you'd expect this king to be gathering... Uh, a following, gathering servants who would serve him. I mean, any king has lots of servants who have to take care of lots of different things if they're trying to build a kingdom. But, but Jesus didn't come to, to be served. He came to serve. He says this in, in Mark ten forty five: The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So his whole life is one of of service and of love and of grace. It's not in building this, this earthly kingdom that, that would cast out the Romans and a place where he could rule forever. And even when you look at him demonstrate his power most clearly in his miracles, you'd expect that if, if this great king would be using miracles, he'd do it to, to win battles, to force out the Romans, to increase Israel's influence. But no, he even uses his, his miracles to serve. He heals the sick. He makes the lame walk. He makes the blind see. And then what's most unexpected of, of all is that this king of a forever kingdom gets crucified at the age of 33. You would think if, if this kingdom was going to be forever that he would... He would have lasted a little longer than that, frankly, right? You wouldn't think that it would end in such an abrupt death, especially one where most of the people around him rejected him. I mean, he maybe had maybe 100 followers at that time. So when you look at Jesus' life and you, and you look at his death, you don't see this forever king and this forever kingdom. You see something much different. But it's not as if God has made a mistake or that, or that Jesus didn't accomplish what he came to do. It's that God's ways are not our ways and, and his thoughts are, are way higher than our thoughts. And that God was, not, he was up to something much bigger than just establishing an earthly kingdom. Instead, God was actually bringing his kingdom to earth. And he sent the king of this kingdom to do three things very quickly. Number one, 
He, he came to make the way into God's kingdom. So we, we said earlier that Jesus' name means God saves. And now turn with me to uh, Matthew 1, verse 20, part of the other Christmas account. Angel is speaking to Joseph. Um, Joseph is worried about marrying Mary because she's going to have a baby and it might look strange <laughs> if they're supposed to um, be pure beforehand. But this angel comes and comforts him and says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And then he tells him why he named him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. So Jesus came to make the way into God's kingdom, the forever kingdom. And, and the way he's doing that is by saving us from our sins. The reality is that we can't enter, enter into God's kingdom on our own because we have sinned. We're sinful people rebelling against God. That God's kingdom and sin, they're incompatible. But Jesus, this unexpected life that he lived, it was the perfect life, one that was lived in complete obedience to God, complete dependence upon God, and even obedience unto death on a cross, where he would take all the punishment for our sins, take all of our sins themselves and put them on himself, that we might live and we can enter into God's kingdom. So his death was not the end of his kingdom. It was actually our only hope to enter into his kingdom. And if you want to live, you can come to Jesus and live. If you want to be a part of his forever kingdom that literally will have no end, come to him. You can believe in this, this life that he gives us. And then three days later, he rises from the dead, proving that he's the son of God. He, he truly is this forever king of this forever kingdom. And that his death on the cross really does take away all of our sins. So he makes the way into his kingdom. The second one is that he shows the way of his kingdom. So we see in Jesus' life, this life of service, of love, of grace. He's the most exalted king of all time, but he humbles himself to serve. He shows us that God's kingdom is completely upside down from earthly kingdoms. It's completely opposite. That the, the Son of Man, he did not come to be served, but to serve. That the low are made high, the high are made low. The weak are made strong, the strong are made weak. The last are first, the first are last. You must lose your life to save it. If you seek to save your life, you will lose it. That list could go on and on. And by the way, this has major implications for your life as a Christian and for this church and for all churches but that's like a whole other sermon so we're going to move on <laughs> um, and number three it's to secure the final coming of his kingdom so Jesus' life his death, his resurrection, they were only the beginning um, after this he ascended into heaven he sat down at the right hand of God and he is reigning right now as God's forever king. And he's continuing to build his forever kingdom through the church, through this church, through countless other churches around the world. And then one day he will come again 
and he will establish his kingdom once and for all. In all of his majesty and all of his glory, and he's going to fully establish his forever kingdom in the new heavens and the new earth. We'll worship him forever. We'll be a part of it forever. Merry Christmas. <laughs> I'm going to pray. Thank you, God, for coming, for bringing your kingdom to us. We can't ascend to your kingdom on our own, but you came to get us. We thank you for that. Thank you for taking our sins, the penalty for our sins, and for making us a part of your kingdom, Lord. We look forward to the day when you return and we live with you forever. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>